We are starting a new series called Revive this morning. Um, it's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Normally, we just preach straight through an entire book of the Bible or a significant portion of it. And so we're going to take a break from that um, for the next five weeks this week um, included. And so this series is kind of a sort of a, like a state of the church kind of thing of kind of where we are, where we're headed, what our future might look like. Um, I sent a letter out to everybody who attends, who we have an address for, so hopefully you received that. If not, you might want to check your mail and just kind of read that because it'll help you um, understand a little bit about what we're doing here. Um, because I think just as we come here, even in the midst of a pandemic and everything else that's happening to churches, I think we all understand um, something is going to have to be different inside of our church for us to continue and to be successful in making disciples. Um, with that being said, I don't think we're being unbiblical. I don't think we're doing anything terrible. Um, we just need a little bit more, right, to get us going and get us over the hump. So this is also not me complaining about you guys at all. That's not what's happening in this series. Um, I am included in this group, and some of this I actually feel like as your pastor, is some of my fault, because I feel like at times I have failed you in many ways. Um, one of those is just fear on my part. Um, I don't, you guys don't know this because you're in the group, but for, I don't think I'm that young anymore, but for a young guy like me to come into a church where you guys have been members longer than I've been alive, um, it's a little intimidating to say, you should do something different. Um, and so because of that, I want to honor you and respect you. And because I'm a little bit afraid of doing that sometimes, of not doing that, then I'm a little pa more passive than I should be. And so I am trying to correct that and do better and lead us courageously. And so I just want to say I'm included in this. This is not your pastor complaining about his people. That's not what's happening here. That's actually not what this series is going to be about. But I just want to clear that up right off the bat, right up front. But I do think as we come here this morning, I think there are some here who might be frustrated with where we are as a church. Um, some of us, or hopefully most of us, want more. We want more people, more excitement, um, more salvations, more baptisms, and those are all good things. Some of us see the possibilities. Some of you may be wondering why we can't go back to how it was before. Um, things have not gone as I planned since I arrived, or probably as you planned, um, but we're not giving up. That's not what this is either. This is not a, we're waving the white flag. That's not where we're at at this point either. I still believe that God is going to do a mighty and powerful thing through our church. And the, the basis for this series, um, some of it is, right, we just need what old school Baptists we would call a revival, right? We need a revival. And we think of revival, if you grew up, well, most of you were here for most of your lives, but if you grew up in like a Southern Baptist church, when you think of revival, you think of like tents and traveling evangelists and lots of people and lots of salvations and all of those things. Maybe you think of Billy Graham and the things that he did and all of those things that are happening. And so we often think of revival as something to bring those far from God to salvation, and so I think it sometimes makes us think that a revival is for people who are out there, not just not for the people who are in here. Um, so I am going to argue that a revival is for us just as much as it is for everyone else. Um, and I was, along this note, I was listening to a podcast this week, and they actually asked the question, what would a revival look like in a church today? Um, and they kind of had a conversation about what it would look like. And one of the things they referenced... Um, was actually an article written by Jonathan Edwards. So if you don't know who Jonathan Edwards was, he was in the 1700s. 
Um, he's famous for one sermon he preached. He should be famous for more than that. Um, but he did lots of great things. He has lots of great teachings. And so he was a part of what is called the Great Awakening in the 1730s and 1740s, where there were lots of people coming to faith, lots of excitement, lots of things happening, and believers kind of getting excited about what's happening. So in the midst of that, he wrote an article to say, how can you tell if it's really a revival? Right, to say, yes, all of these things are going on and they look amazing, but how can you really know that revival is happening? And he wrote five marks, five things that show it is revival. And I think this is helpful for us. And so these are his five things. He says, there is a revival or God is working when esteem for the true Jesus is raised. Basically, your love for Jesus is increased. When love for Jesus is increased, that's a sign of revival. Right? When Satan's kingdom is attacked, or when the Holy Spirit operates against the interest of Satan's kingdom, this is basically the Holy Spirit working against sin. Right? He turns people away from sin and turns people towards God. Uh, the third one, when people come to love the Scriptures more, right? you have a greater regard for the Bible and you take it seriously. When men, he says men, he includes women in this also, um, when men and women are led away from falsehood into truth, meaning what we believe, and I think we all do this at some level, we all have falsehoods that we buy into or we believe, whether big ones or small ones, but we turn away from those and we turn to the truths of Scripture. And then he says, when there is an increase in love to God and man, sorry, when you love God more, when you love people more, that's a sign of revival. Now, what he didn't say is anything about numbers of people. He didn't say anything about that. If you notice, he also didn't actually say anything about salvation. So I think this helps us understand that a revival isn't just a bunch of people flooding into a building and hearing an evangelist and getting saved. Right? A revival is something that happens for all of us. Right? All of us do this. Do we know what this beeping is? Anybody? Henry, you got it? Thanks. Sorry. Right? A revival is for all of us. Um, not just for those who are not yet believers, or sometimes we think, hey, this is for backsliding believers, people that used to believe, but they kind of fell away, and they need to come back right, and be revived and be restored. No, a revival is for all of us, for all believers. Those five things, we can all do better in those five areas. And in the conversation, after they kind of reference this, they talk about this, this concept. What I think is true is that a true revival is built on repentance and on prayer, right? Whether you're a non-believer repenting and being saved or whether you're a believer and you're repenting and saying, I want to follow God more fully. And so this is what we're talking about. This is where we are as a church. And what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is how we can see God's church come alive, how we can see those five things happen amongst us, right? Whether that means a bunch of people come and flood in or not, we can still have a revival each in our own lives. Because we know there isn't a magic formula for seeing a revival, or for making your church grow. Um, we also know that only God is able to do this. We cannot manufacture this process. We can, but I think it would be unbiblical, and so I'm, I'm not leading us that direction, right? I think that only God can do that. Only God can save others. Only God can grow us spiritually, and so we do need to, to bend, depend on Him, but there are things that we can do that will help us in the process, help us be prepared 
And so that's what we're going to look at, what it means to be a church and how we can focus on Scripture and be faithful disciples in this. So what can we do as we seek God, as we pray, as we wait for God to move? So the first thing we need to understand is what actually is a church? Like, what are we all doing here? What does it look like? What are the things we're supposed to be doing? So the term for the, new, the church in the New Testament is the term ecclesia, um, which means gathering or assembly. This is used by Jesus first in Matthew 16 and then in Matthew 18. It's picked up by Luke in the book of Acts and then Paul later in the letters. So why did they choose this term? Um, literally, the term ecclesia means the called out ones, right? It's the ones who are called out of something for a particular purpose. The interesting thing is, there's a link between the word ecclesia in the New Testament, the Greek word, and the assembly of Jews in the Old Testament, right? The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, just in case most of it, if you don't know that, but they translate it into Greek because that's what everybody kind of knew. It uses the same word for the church in the New Testament as for the Old Testament Israel as the congregation or the assembly of the Lord. And so when they chose this word in the New Testament, they were intentionally linking themselves to what God had already done in his people in the Old Testament, saying, hey, this isn't necessarily something completely new, something completely different, but it's a new reality of God's people who are called out to follow him. So the term also was used just in the first century. It was a common term that was used every day, not just by Christians, but by everybody. And it was a term where citizens of a given community called together a group to tend to city affairs. This is any city group. So if you think of like city council, school board, that's what this would also refer to. And so I think we could define the church as a people who are called together by the proclamation of the gospel for the, for the purpose of belonging to God through Christ. Right? It's a people brought together by the Holy Spirit, bound together through Christ, standing in covenant with God. Right? And I think this is not new information. Some of it may be new information, but you're not surprised by where we ended up. That The church is the people who are called out to follow God. We talk about this all the time. Right? The church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the resources. It's not any of those things. It's made up of the people. And part of being congregationalists, as we are, um, means we see the church as a group of people bound together, not just a collection of individuals. We're actually in this together. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And so the church is a gathering of believers, but is it any gathering of believers, right? If we all get together and have lunch at my house, is that a church? Or if we all get together and watch a football game, and we're all believers, is that a church, right? Is there something specific that a group of people has to do to say, oh, we're not just a group of believers doing this together, we're actually a church. And here's where I bring in, these are my two favorite definitions of what a church is, one by Martin Luther and one by um, John Calvin, who did not agree on a lot of things, but they did actually agree on this, and which is why I hold both of these definitions up together. So John Calvin says, this is his definition of a church. Wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there, it is not to be doubted, a church of God exists. And then Martin Luther 
the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. And so if you are listening to those, those are very similar definitions to what a church actually is. There's a couple of key points, right? That the gospel is taught or that the word is purely preached, right? That everything changes with Jesus. That when he comes on the scene and he dies on the cross for our sins, that it opens the doors for salvation and there is grace there's an opportunity to be saved. We talk about this as biblical theology when we talk about it, that everything in the Old Testament points towards Christ coming. And everything after that is different because he came, right? The best example of this is actually from Star Wars, <clears throat> right? When you're watching the movies and you get to the point where you find out, it, it can't be spoilers anymore because it's like 40 years ago, okay? When we find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Then, all of a sudden, everything that you've seen before that, the meaning has changed. It's completely different. You see it completely differently in what is happening in the story, and everything from that point forward is also completely different because you have this one piece of information, this critical event that changes everything. That's what the cross does. <clears throat> right? When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, it changes everything that we understand about the Old Testament. And it changes everything that comes after that. It is a significant event in our lives and in history. And so that's what he's talking about, that the gospel is purely preached. It is taught throughout the church. The second part is that the sacraments are rightly administered according to Christ's institution. And so for us and for them, um, there were only two. Um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so baptism is the symbol of someone publicly declaring their allegiance to Christ and the church affirming their salvation and covenanting to walk with them along the way. And so we've talked about this before. The Lord's Supper is also a confirmation of who belongs to God's people. Right? We're actually going to do this later in the service. Um, but this is one of the reasons that we ask that only baptized believers in Christ take the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> because it is an affirmation that we believe as a church that you are actually a believer in Christ. And so we're saying that together, that you are a part of the family. Just for fun, I threw in our definition of church from the doctrinal statement, and it says something like this, which is very similar to what we just talked about. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation um, of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinance of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I would argue, based on these definitions and what we are doing, that, no surprise, we are a church, right? We come together, we do those things, we preach the gospel, we baptize believers, um, we take the Lord's Supper, we are doing all of these things, and so we are a church. In case you are wondering, or like, am I been going to a church for all these years? The answer is yes. Um, so then the question is, well, if the church is a people— does it really matter if we're all together at the same time? Or how often do we need to do that? Or does it make a difference? So that's the question we're turning to next. Do we really need to gather together? Do we really need to be here on a Sunday morning all together? 
right? Is it necessary? Can't I just attend online? Can I just read my Bible and pray by myself? Do I really need to come to church and be with all of these other people? And so to do that, we're going to actually read from Hebrews chapter 10. This will be our main scripture this morning. It's page um, 1066 in your pew Bible that is in front of you. You can also get through it through the Brentwood Bible Church app or go to Sunday services and all of that will be there um, for you. We're going to start in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10. And it says this, in 24, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so this verse is commonly used uh, across most churches that I know of to encourage people to gather together, to be together in one place. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I actually want to back up and I want to go back and start in verse 19 because I think there's important things that come before this that help us understand why it's important for us to gather together. So let's back up to verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Christ, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. And let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's like a progression here if you saw that, right? It says, since we are this, since we are this, since we are this, then it says, let us, let us, let us. And so we're going to kind of walk through those, right? Since we can enter the sanctuary by Jesus, that through his death, We are brought into the new covenant that the old has passed away, the new has come when we believe in him, when we trust that he died on the cross for our sins, that he stood in our place and took the punishment as we believe in him and put our faith and trust in him, we become new creations, right? We can enter into the sanctuary, enter enter into God's presence because of Jesus. So since he has done that, and then since he is our great high priest, that gives us access to God and intercedes for us, that he, we don't have to go through anybody else anymore. We can go straight to God. We can go through Jesus. He's interceding for us, sitting at God's right hand. Then it says, let us hold fast to our confession without wavering. Right? Let us hold fast, not just by ourselves. It's not an individual thing. We hear other places, the church has talked about, right? It's a body. <clears throat> it's a family. We hold fast together which is where he goes next, right? Let us consider one another. Not because Jesus has died for us, because we are believers, we need to hold fast to our confession. The next verse isn't, then each of you should go to church by yourselves. That's not what he says. He says, let us consider one another, right? We are in this together, right? Think of others. Think of your fellow church members. Think of the families. Think of each other. But why do we do that? 
Why do we think of others? He says to provoke us to love and to good works, to love one another, to do good things. And then he continues, let us not neglect gathering together. Right? In order to encourage one another, and in order to have mutual accountability, we have to be together. All of us need to be together. And the reason he says this is actually at the very end, as the day approaches, and what he's basically saying is, the day where we're going to have to give an account for what we've done is coming. And so we all need to be together so we can encourage one another and support one another and affirm one another's salvation. I talk about this often because in this room, with this group of people and those associated with us, when we get to heaven, we don't want any surprises. Right? We don't want anybody to get there and say, oh, I thought I was a believer, but I guess I wasn't. We don't want any of that to happen with people that are in our church or around us. And so that's one of the reasons we need to be together because the day we give an account is coming. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is not gathering together is neglect. And I know we don't often think of it like that. We think we're making a church, a choice, right? We're not turning away from the church. We say, well, I'm just going to take a break for a while. Or I'm tired. Or I had a really busy weekend. Or I got used to watching online because of the pandemic. But what he says, saying is, and we're going to build this out a little bit more in a minute, drifting, I would call that drifting from the church, actually turns to neglect, when we hear the word of neglect, it makes us feel like, hey, this is just something I can take some time away from. Um, for example, if you take care of plants or whatever, something like that, right? If you neglect your plants and you don't water them, you're just like, oh, at some point in the next couple of weeks, if I water them, they'll just spring back to life and everything will be fine. But the problem is if you wait too long, the plant is gone. It is dead. There is, it, it's gone past neglecting. And I think the same is true for us. Neglecting gathering together puts us in a dangerous place. Because your translation may not have neglect. It may actually have the word forsake or it may have the word abandon. Right? So if it says do not abandon gathering together, I think for us that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different context if it says do not abandon gathering together. Right? If he's saying, if we don't gather with our church, it isn't just something we forgot about or we're taking a break from or we know it's important and we'll get back to it later. He's saying you're forsaking it. You're abandoning it. Right? It's, it's not for me. I'm out. I'm going to do this on my own or I'm going to go somewhere else or I'm not going to go at all. And we're going to see this in a minute, but I think drifting leads to neglect, which leads to abandonment. So if you are not in and for the church, then you have abandoned it. That's not what I'm arguing. That's what the writer of Hebrews, I think, is arguing here. But I would support his conclusions. So gathering together is important. I think it's crucial for the life of the church and the growth of each of us as individual believers. So let's look at why. Why should we gather together? Why is it important that we should all be here in the same room on a regular basis? And that's the question we're turning to next. Why is gathering important? Why do I need to be here with other people? I don't even like half of these people. You shouldn't really be saying that, but if you do, it's okay. 
Um, you can say that. We're all in this together, right? Can I just do this on my own? Can I just read my devotional or get the Sunday school material and read it by myself and answer the questions? Can I grow the same just like that? And I'm going to say the answer is no. Um, not just because I'm your pastor, but that's one of the reasons. Um, but because I think believers on their own are in a dangerous place. Because when you're by yourself, and I know we've, most of us have felt this at some level during the pandemic, right? When you're by yourself as a believer, it's hard. You feel like you're alone. It's easy to think you're the only one struggling. It's easy to think you're the only one going through what you're going through. It's easier to give in to temptation, right? Those things are all putting believers in a dangerous place for drifting. And that's where I want to turn to next because earlier we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. But if you read through the, the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, you'll see some hints of this concept as he goes through. And so chapter 10 is actually the culmination of some, some things that he sprinkled in along the way. So I want to kind of pick up some of those things, a couple of them, and bring them into us. Because he's actually going to trace the dangers in Hebrews to what we see to ending up where we're neglecting or abandoning the church. And you don't have to look these up. They're really short, and I'll, I'll read them to you. But the first one is um, chapter 2, verse 1. What he, what he says in, in that verse, he says, Pay attention to the message of salvation so we don't drift away. Right? Don't drift away. It sounds like we're just like floating on the river everything's okay, we get a little off course, we'll just swim back. And so drifting, to us, it doesn't actually sound that dangerous. You, know, you don't feel like you're in danger. You can easily correct it. And I think that's where it starts, is what's just like, well, I'm just drifting. Just a little tired, I'm going to take a break, I'll go back later. I don't like the series Ben is preaching. It sounds like it's going to be like, he's going to ask me to do stuff. Um, so I'll just come back when it's going to be easier. Then we get to chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. This is what he says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily what is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. If we have become participants in Christ, if we hold firmly until the end the reality we had at the start. Right? And so I think what he's saying is, if you don't correct the drift... The next step is an unbelieving heart that turns away, right? I'm just drifting. Oh, but this looks interesting. This looks like more fun. So I'm going to turn and intentionally choose to go that direction, right? Because at some level, we're not believing something that is true. Whether we talked about this earlier, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, there's some level of unbelief, I think, behind every sin, every choice that we make that pushes us away from God, but then he says, he goes on even further, right? You have an unbelieving heart that turns away. But then the culmination is in verse 13, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception, right? Drifting leads to turning away. Turning away leads to a hard heart that can no longer hear or wants to hear what God is saying to you. Right? That's the progression that he's giving us in the book of Hebrews that leads to chapter 10, saying, if you're drifting and you're turning away, then you're going to end up with a hard heart, which is why we need to encourage one another, which is why we need to gather together. Because it's way easier to drift and to turn away and have a hard heart when you're on your own 
and nobody's paying attention to you and nobody knows what's happening in your life and nobody's around you and sharing. And so the answer, he actually gives us the answer here and in chapter 10, is what? Encourage one another. Be together. Gather together. Worship together. Pray together. Confess together. Suffer together. Bear one another's burdens. We do all of that together. And as we do that, we save people from hard hearts. We save people from turning away. We save people from drifting. We save people from neglect and abandonment. And so we gather together because individual Christians on their own are in a dangerous place. And so I want to remind us kind of on this concept, when we come to church, we are not just individuals in the same room. We are actually a group of people here together. And this is, I think it's really easy for us to to mix those two up. Um, I talk about this sometimes in in marriage counseling is sometimes when you're married and you have kids or you're in a busy season, you're actually just two people living in the same house, right? You're not actually married. You're not actually doing things together. You're not actually loving one another, spending time together, building your relationship. You're just two people who are doing something together, right? You put in your time, you do your tasks, you check off your list, you go to the store, you pick up the kids, you go to bed, and you repeat. And I think if we're not careful, we can do the same thing when we come to church, Right? I drive to church in my own car. I sit in my own pew. Right now we're kind of spaced out because of it's a pandemic. I get that part. Right? But we come in, we listen, we hear, we say hi to a couple of people, we get in our cars and we drive home. And so I think too often we do that as individuals. I come in and do, I do my thing at church and then I go home. Right? But we should be doing this together. Right? Coming to church is a togetherness how we can be in this room together. And one of the things that it made me think of is is actually how do you prepare to come to church differently so that you can understand that. And one of the things we actually put in the back of our membership class book, which most of you skipped out on because you were members long before I ever got here, um, but we call it the ministry of the pew, um, which means it's for everybody who sits in a pew, um, which I think would be all of us. Um, And so it talks about kind of what you can do before you get here. One of the reasons we put the scripture for next week's sermon in your bulletin is so that you can read that to prepare for next week. You can do that before you get here. You can pray for other people. You can even like pray for where you should sit is actually one of those and not just sit in your same pew, but you could pray if God wants to just sit you in a different place. And it talks about what you can do during the service and after the service. And so just in case anybody's interested, I actually have copies of that in the back after the service. So if you'd like to get one of those, Um, You can read through it. It's really short. It's really not that complicated. But that's one of the ways that we can, when we come to church, be together. And it's not just me doing my thing over here in this pew and you doing your thing in that pew, but it's us being together. And one of the, the... Just being together and like just hearing other people sing is encouraging. And... I know we don't have a ton of people in here, but this is where our building really helps us out because anybody singing in here sounds really good. And so if you just like just listen to people singing, it's encouraging. And so if you don't sing, just sing with us. I promise it'll be okay, right? 
I don't really sing anywhere but here, and that's all right. But God calls us to sing, and so let's sing together because it encourages other people to hear us sing. And my, the vision I actually have for this every time I think about this is that after the service, nobody actually just runs out the door. And I know we do what we usually do. Hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. But my dream is that as we do that, as we hear about other people's life, that it actually turns to prayer. That you hear, oh, so-and-so is sick, or I'm looking for a job, or I'm doing this. That we don't just say, oh, yeah, that sounds hard, or okay, I'll keep that in mind. But we say, let's pray. Not like in five minutes or when I get home or I'll put it on my, like, just right now. Let's just pray right now. And so I actually have a vision for us as a church that at the end of the service, we just see people, two, three, four, five people just talking, and then all of a sudden they just start praying together. And so as you look over the room, you just see people praying together and encouraging one another. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to see? Wouldn't you want to come back for that every week? Even if you don't want to listen to me, right? It's worth it to pray with somebody at the end, right? I get it. The problem for us is, some of this is because we're, most of us are good Americans. It pushes us to do things alone, to do things by ourselves, to be individuals. And when we do that, what, what I think happens is it actually brings out the shame and the guilt. And it makes us think that we are the only ones struggling, or sometimes the opposite, that we are better than everybody else. If I just hang out with those people and I talk to them too much, they're just going to slow me down. But it pushes us to be individuals, even though most of us crave community and being together, being a part of something bigger. And so what happens is, when those things kind of all crash together, we begin to pretend to be included, even at church. And we have to push against that. And some of you may be like, what? Ben talks about pretending all the time. I don't even know what he's talking about. And so you may think that we're not pretending in here. But I think it happens more than we realize. Because I think anytime we don't mention things we're struggling with, you could be pretending. Anything, anytime we don't ask for prayer for ourselves when we really need it, you could be pretending Anytime we think, I can't tell anybody at church about this. That's pretending. Because you're saying, if somebody at church hears about this, they'll think differently about me, they won't accept me, they won't love me, there'll be all of these consequences, so I can't tell anybody. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, that doesn't mean you have to come and spill your guts every week. That's not what I'm asking for. And I know some of you are more likely to do that than others. I understand that. But we have to be together. We have to be real. This is the one place you should be able to come and not have to pretend about anything. To say, this is where I'm at. This is my junk. I completely lost it this week, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through next week. Or I've been looking for a job for six months and I can't find one. Or I've been struggling with this health issue and I don't know what the answer is and I just want it to be done. 
right? This is the one place people shouldn't feel shame. They shouldn't feel guilt. They should be open and honest about where they are because we understand more than anybody that we are all sinners in need of grace. Every single one of us. So there shouldn't be any judgment here. There shouldn't be any fear about what we drop on the table among our church people. And so it's important for us to gather together. And this is where I'm going to talk about, just for a second, the importance of coming to this gathering of the church. And so what I'm going to actually say is, if you can only come to one thing as a church member, this gathering should be it. And I know why some of you like Sunday school more, and I know the history of Baptist churches that Sunday school is a big deal. I understand that. But I think this is the most important gathering we have because the whole church is together. This is where we sing together, where we encourage each other through singing, where we experience the Holy Spirit, where we're shaped by the Word together. And we're going to talk about that actually all next week is how we are shaped together by the word, by the gospel. And this gathering of the whole church together is actually the only consistent gathering of the church throughout history. You can go to any century and you'll find a gathering just like this. Now you'll find lots of other things that came along with it, but there's, this gathering has always been. And so I'm... That's my challenge to, to all of us. And so I just made a, a list this week, and I, I think it's helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. And a little challenging. Um, if, if you wish we sang more hymns with a piano, you should still come to church. If you wish I preached more fire and brimstone, you should still come to church. Or if you wish I preached like 20 minutes instead of 30 or 40, you should still come to church. If you wish there were more people your age, you should still come to church. If you wish we sang more upbeat songs, you should still come to church. If you wish there was more stuff for your kids, you should still come to church. Because this is the gathering where God's people come together and they encourage one another. And they're shaped by the word. And the Holy Spirit does things, I think, in this gathering that he doesn't do in other places. Because we are together. Because here's what happens. Maybe you have something that's not on this list that you're just like, well, I wish it wasn't like this. And if it was better or this was different, then I would come more. Here's what happens when you come, even when you don't like everything that we're doing. It encourages other people to be here as well. Right? If you keep coming, even though you're like, well, I don't like this, and I don't like this, and I wish this would be different, and, but you still keep coming, it reminds everybody else, oh, this gathering is not about me. This gathering is about God and about the other people in the room who need to be encouraged, who need to be supported, who need to see other people around them walking the same walk as them. Right? And I, I get it. It's hard to get here sometimes. I, the weird part about being as a pastor is you sort of skip out on that one because you have to be here every week. And the actually weirder part is you kind of leave your family on their own to get here, um, which is a 
interesting dynamic. But I get it's hard to get here. I get families have things that happen. I get in the days of COVID, right? If you're sick, you have a cough, sore throat, fever, please stay home for now, right? We get all of that. I understand it's hard. I understand it's challenging. But what I'm asking is, right, let's make the effort to be here because it's important. And I know I just mentioned pandemic, and it sounds really strange for me to ask for people to come into a building with other people in the midst of that. But I actually believe in what we're doing to keep people safe because we have actually several times had people with COVID in our building, and it never spread to anybody else. So what we're doing is working. Majority of us are vaccinated, so I think that's a whole other thing, but I'm leaving that. That's not for me to say anything about. Right? I'm encouraging you to come to this gathering because this is where we are shaped together. And I know, and I said this last week and I said it on Wednesday, I know the people who are looking at me right now with your faces or probably watching online are probably not the people that need to hear this, right? Because I see most of your faces regularly, and I appreciate that. But let's keep going. Let's not drift. Let's not fall away. Let's keep going. Let's encourage others to continue to come or to come and check it out. Because, and I think we know this too, but it helps to be reminded, a gathered people are more powerful we can do way more together than we can apart. Right? There are things you just can't do as an individual person that we can do as a church. Right? Not to talk about buildings, but this building is a piece of that. Right? Us on our, by ourselves, we wouldn't end up with this. This is not what we would do by ourselves. But we came together, and there was a group that came together and believed in the gospel and what was happening, and they pooled the resources, and this is where we ended up with all of this stuff. And it's great. Because it's a place to meet, a place to do ministry. It actually helps us help a lot of other people do ministry as well. Right? But we can do more together. Like a pumpkin patch that's coming up. It's amazing for our neighborhood. Right? We can do that together. And so I think just coming off of just this first week, I think we all kind of hope that we all want to see a revival in our church. But I think the way to do that is not doing some sensational thing or putting up a tent or bringing in an event, any of that, but it's just to do the basics. Right? It's like when you go to the doctor. Are you eating right? Are you exercising? Are you getting good un- enough sleep? Right? He doesn't ask you usually all of these crazy questions. He asks just the basics, because the basics will make you more healthy. I think the same is true for us. Just doing the basics and doing them really well will make us healthier. Right? Because the signs of a revival that we started with at the beginning, love Jesus more. Pretty basic. Take the Bible seriously. It's pretty basic. Love God and love other people more fully. It's pretty basic. But a guy in a revival said, that's what it looks like. 
Right? So the call to all of us is to repent from whatever else that's keeping us from being here, from keeping us from engaging with other people, that's keeping us from fully following what God is asking us to do, like me and my fear is to repent of that and to say, God, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. Help me. Give me strength. Give me boldness. Give me courage. Give me direction. Give me vision so that we can see where we're supposed to go and that I can help others and us get there. Right, so we repent and we pray. And it's, it may not be big things, but even the little things make a difference. So that's where we're starting, right? To see a revival is just to be together as a church and do the basics, but to do them really, really well. So let's pray this morning. God, we come before you and we... We just want to hear from you. God, we, we desire your presence. We desire your work in our lives and in our church. And we pray that you would do something that we know only you can do. That you will open hearts, that you will change hearts, that you will bring people seeking salvation. But in the midst of that, yes, you will do that out there, but in here, will you help us to examine our hearts, to examine our lives, to repent where we need to repent and let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us in that, and to pray and to lean on you and to ask you to work, to ask you to change us. And whether that comes with more people or a full building, or not. Us being changed and following you more fully is still a good thing. It can still be a revival in our church, even if nobody else comes. But I know that if we do that, it's pretty likely that other people are going to notice. Other people are going to want to be a part. Other people are going to be drawn in by community, by a loving people who don't care where you've been, who don't care what you've done, who don't care what you, what you're, whether you're falling apart or not, but we come together to encourage and to support one another. So God, help us all to make it a priority in our lives to gather together. And when we do that, not just to be here and, 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 and check out, come in, do our thing and leave, but to actually engage with other people, to encourage, to support, to pray for each other. God, help us to be really good at the basics and to seek you above all else. It's in your name I pray. Amen.